a rebel with heritage from two separate worlds, must learn to control his amazing aquatic powers and discover the truth of his noble birth before war destroys those he loves above and below the ocean surface. Rye reviews Aquaman now on Rye Loves Movies. Hey guys, it's Rye, and I just got out of a late night showing of Aquaman in 3D, and I'm going to review that, and this is going to be a spoiler review, so if you haven't seen the movie, go check it out. I'll give you my uh, my early uh, review saying this is a big, big two thumbs up for me. This is a big, big uh, two fins up for me, so if you're worried about that, don't worry about it. Go see this movie. I'm serious. Go see it right now. But if you have seen it, uh, let's talk about it a little bit. So, of course, this is the uh, continuation of the DC. This is the continuation of the DC franchise of the Justice League uh, series of characters, which we know from, of course, Batman and Superman and then adding in Wonder Woman and The Flash uh, recently. Now what's interesting and cool about this uh, film is that we're kind of getting a bit of a reboot of the DC Universe coming into this film because as uh, you may know, it, it really looks like uh, Henry Cavill's out. In fact, I'm, I think it's confirmed that Henry Cavill's out as Superman and uh, Ben Affleck's Batman is on the precipice of being out. He might be in one more film or maybe not. I don't think it's been absolutely confirmed. Uh, so we really have Wonder Woman, uh, Gal Gadot's character, kind of leading this franchise now. And then, of course, we have Jason Momoa coming in. And he's been holding on uh, to this character pretty well. He's been, he's been uh, holding it up pretty well for the Justice League uh, series of films. And now he gets his own solo feature, which I've been seeing a lot of reviews and a lot of people talking online about this maybe being like the Iron Man of the DC Universe. And what they mean by that is that it's a, if this was a reboot, if this is a, a renewal kind of of the DCEU, the Extended Universe films, that this would be kind of the first film in a new uh, way that they're going to approach these movies. And I will tell you what, that if this is the way they're going to approach these movies, if this is not a fluke, this is going to bring some really cool things in the future of this franchise. Wonder Woman and Aquaman after this film together really could lead the new series the, uh, you know we we know that Batman and Superman have always been the iconic characters and that they're going to uh, kind of always have that that place as at the the head of the table but I really think it's time that we took a break from Batman and Superman they they need a little bit of a rest they need a little bit of a reboot themselves and to fill that gap until we can figure out how to do them well, we need to go with Aquaman and Wonder Woman. And Aquaman is the one to do that because Aquaman's story is very Superman-esque uh, in a way uh, that he's from another world. He kind of, uh, you know, crash lands and, and, and has an adopted parent. Well, let's just talk about how it goes in the film, and then we can kind of maybe look at the comparisons to some of the other characters, or if we want to compare that to Superman. But 
So the movie begins with Queen Atlanta, who's portrayed by a de-aged Nicole Kidman in the beginning, which I had totally forgot about de-aging technology. I was just assuming this is Nicole Kidman's normal, you know, how she looks normally. And I was like, you know, she, she looks great. And as the movie progressed and we aged up a little bit, I was like, oh yeah, that's right, that's right. This would be, you know, a younger Nicole Kidman. But then... Nicole Kidman, since this is a spoiler review, she comes back and she's still alive and she still looks great. And so I don't know if they actually de-aged her at all. I mean, I'm sure they did a little bit, um, but she still looks great. So anyways, that's a bit of a tangent, but she washes up on shore in, uh, I think, Massachusetts, on the rocks of Massachusetts, where a lighthouse keeper, played by uh, Tamura Morrison who is the uh, voice or the, the portrayer, father portrayal of um, Jango Fett in the Star Wars prequels. Uh, he takes her in because she's injured and he's the keeper of the lighthouse and he takes her into, her ho into their home and they fall in love because what we find out is that she has fled the kingdom of Atlantis where she has been betrothed uh, forcibly, you know, against her will, she's been paired up with another a, a prince or, you know, a future king, another royalty member, and she needs to marry him, and she didn't want to do that, so she ran away, and they uh, injured her in the process, and so she winds up there, and we get some, you know, future kind of dissolves, kind of cuts to uh, some years later when her and the lighthouse keeper have a son who is Jason Momoa, you know, well, it's it's Arthur, who becomes Jason Momoa and she teaches him some things and about Atlantis, you know, when he's a young child, she tells him some stories and then the Atlanteans send an army to attack the lighthouse and uh, she fights them off. And this is the first kind of uh, set piece where you go, oh, this is pretty awesome because she takes her trident and she kicks the crap out of like four of these armored soldiers. And the cool thing about these soldiers is that they have water in their masks, and but they're on land. And, and the way it turns out is some of the people who live in Atlantis and the other cities underwater cannot breathe above water. But I think she says later that the high... Uh, the high court or the high something, the high evolution of these people can do both. Um, Mara says that later. So I don't know if I want to just give a whole plot outline of this because if you're listening to this, you've seen it, hopefully. But the Kingdom of Atlantis, it's shown uh, thousands of years ago, was a super advanced society living above the water. And they have like all of these uh, clean energy machines and it's kind of like, it looks like steampunk. They've got these like little ATST walkers walking around and these flying machines above the city. The king, Atlantis, he takes his trident and he tries to put it into the energy source. They've found this new energy source, which it's not explained what that energy source is, but he puts his trident into it and it says that they got greedy and he was trying to do what? I'm not sure what he was trying to do. Maybe imbue the trident or use the power of the trident to strengthen the energy. I'm not sure, but it ends up causing a disaster that... So he ends up causing a disaster that sinks Atlantis into the ocean. And there's this kind of throwaway line that the energy 
that they found gave them the ability to breathe underwater. So I'm not a big knowledgeable person of the Aquaman comics. I will be totally honest, not really one that I ever read um, as a kid. I, I, I wasn't really a huge comic book reader collector as a kid. I definitely would go, you know, at the store and read them or take a few home when I could. But Aquaman would not have been one that I would have gotten into. So I don't know the mythology or the history of the Aquaman character. And it doesn't really ask you to know much in this film, but it doesn't really tell you anything either. It's, I'm not sure if this is kind of all made up stuff or they're glossing over things that actually occurred in the comic at all. I have no idea, but somehow this energy gave the Atlanteans the ability to breathe underwater and that they then over, it can't be very long, can it? It says a thousand, somebody says a thousand years at some point, but it's got to be more than that because it says a bunch of them split off into these other cities, like seven different cities, and then they devolved into fish? They turned into crab people and mermaid people? I have no idea what's going on. But the movie doesn't care. It doesn't, it doesn't matter that this is bizarre because it just embraces this comic book aspect. It loves this comic book aspect. And it says, you know what? This is a freaking comic book film. And it is a breath of fresh water, if you know what I mean. Because we, up to this point with this DC Universe, have just been getting this dark, dreary slog of, do you bleed, you will bleed. You know, this Batman vs. Superman stuff. You know, the Zack Snyder stuff that... I was thinking about it as I was watching this film, thinking to myself, this is a new era of DC films. This is a new era of DC comic book films. The Zack Snyder stuff is is going to be history very soon. I mean, there might be some holdouts left. Actually, I don't think there is. I don't think there's any movie in production at DC that's going to have any more of Zack Snyder's DNA or fingerprints in it. <clears throat> but we're going to look back at some point at that period, just like we look at the Christopher Nolan uh, Batman films as you know these three films that had this very this this indelible fingerprint of Zack Snyder over them and we're gonna look or I'm sorry of Chris Nolan and we're gonna look now at the series of Snyder films with the same kind of overview of saying oh that was a very specific point of time of the DC films when they were trying to do something very specific and it just didn't pan out and whether you love or hate those films, they are unique. And we're going to kind of have a box set of like the Snyder, uh, you know, universe. Because we're doing something different now. And I'm all for what we're doing now. And I'm glad we're kind of moving away from that. Because we need to get back into the fun of these comics. You know, Marvel's kicking DC's butt with the fun side of things. And this isn't an Iron Man. This isn't, you know, this isn't the Iron Man of the DC films where we're rebooting, restarting. Because this is jumping right into the Thor Guardians of the Galaxy of the of the DC Universe. We're introducing crap that is so out there, so LSD, so elect technotronic, whatever you want to call it, uh, colors and 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 ships. I mean, these spaceships that they have, these water ships under the sea in Atlantis, are like the coolest space stuff that we probably have ever seen in DC. 
I mean, the Guardians of the Galaxy movies have have kind of given us that, and and maybe some of the stuff matches that. But it's unique in a way because it's you know it takes from the sea creatures, it takes the bioluminescence, it's got the glowing bits, and like the plasma energy, and you get the sounds and the like it's really cool. And the original bits we've had of Aquaman in the previous DC films, they have not been able to talk underwater uh, very much. Uh, I'm, I'm racking my brain. I may be wrong on this with the, with the Steppenwolf stuff, but I think Aquaman generally would make a bubble and he would walk in and then they'd talk. But now they just kind of all talk underwater and it's kind of bubbly. It's like, whoa, what are you doing here? Um, but it's, you know, you can make it out. It's intelligible. And that's cool because it doesn't take up a lot of time to kind of reset why, um, you know, oh, all these characters are coming together. Now they have to pause and make a big bubble so they can walk in and talk. There are some air bubbles where they walk in and talk, but it's kind of part of the story more than anything. There's one scene where Aquaman goes with Mera uh, and uh, goes to talk to Volko. I think his name is the character portrayed by um, Volko, played by Willem Dafoe. And they're in an underwater air bubble because it's, she says it's a kind of protection from some of the outsiders. And also it keeps the animals out because like the fish, because the fish and the sea creatures would swim into the bubble. So let's get back on track a little bit with the plot here so I can cover a few more things. Uh, so Queen Atlanta fights off these uh, soldiers. She tells uh, the father whose name... I can't quite remember, but she tells him, she tells Tamura Morrison that she needs to go back to Atlantis to protect Arthur and to set things right in the kingdom. And Tamura Morrison raises Arthur. And then we get a few cuts of Arthur growing up. He's at a bio biology, marine biology exhibit where he has the fish uh, attack the glass to fight off some bullies we get the Aquaman title. So it's taking that whole old cliche kind of tired bully thing of Aquaman talks to fish. That's so lame, which they tried to do with the Ben Affleck Batman character a little bit, uh, pulling that joke up. But it's saying, yeah, we're going to embrace this, that he does communicate with sea life. And that's badass because there's a lot of really cool sea life that if you could control, you would want to do that too. And that brings me to a thought of the powers in this film. You know, there's not a lot of explanation for the powers. And like I said, with the energy that gave him the ability to talk, the, like the, the super strength that the characters have is explained by saying that they adapted to the pressure of the depths of the ocean. So Aquaman can take a stab from a like human knife and it doesn't, can't even dent him because of the pressure of the ocean. I don't know if I can buy that because, you know, you can cut any kind of deep sea creature that has pressure adaptation. You can cut it with a knife, but apparently there's Atlantean steel, which is stronger. And, you know, so it doesn't take time to explain what's going on. Is it magic that we're talking about? Is it from the gods? Because, you know, I, I do think it really is more of a magic from the gods because they do mention Poseidon. And we know from the Wonder Woman films that we are, you know, kind of dealing with the Greek gods and those are real. So it is a bit of a magic thing. But why does the magic merge with the technology? I'm not really sure. But the powers that they have is that Arthur 
you know, Aquaman talks to the fish or the sea creatures through this, you know, mental manipulation of the water. And they, of course, they have the super speed, which there's no propulsion system. So is it telekinetic? You get the same problems that you have with Superman, right? How does Superman fly? He has no propulsion system. And you really, when you have to think about it, if you want to put it into the world of science, you got to say that he's telekinetic, right? He can control things with his mind. And the reason I say telekinetic is Amber Heard's character, Mara, has the ability to uh, call the water and make shapes with the water, kind of like Moana. And there's a scene where she is on land and she destroys a cabinet full of wine bottles and reshapes the glass from the wine bottles into little spears that she throws at people, at bad guys. So she can control water, but she can also manipulate glass into other objects. Oh man, this blew my mind. But you know, it doesn't care. If you're a little kid and you're watching your show, you're like, cool. But it just makes me raise the question of what are the power set here? Who gets powers? Do all the Atlanteans, I mean, it seems like most of the Atlanteans are super strong, but they don't all control water. Well, I guess a lot of them swim fast, so that's got to be a little telekinetic. But why is Arthur's toughness or his strength so much greater than like a normal Atlantean? But then he has a half-brother who is stronger than he is. So Arthur grows up and now we get the scene where we're introduced to the Black Manta character who is uh, robbing a submarine. It's like a, a Russian um, nuclear submarine. I, I think it's Russian. I don't know what language they're speaking. Aquaman happens to drop in. I'm not sure how he knew that this submarine was getting robbed. If like the fish or the you know sea creatures like can notice when something's going wrong and tell him and then he i mean it's in the middle of the ocean he was just what is he on patrol does he just uh swim around the earth in the different oceans and kind of just check out what like pirating might be going on because this movie is after steppenwolf right because somebody says that he be defeated steppenwolf and he's proved his strength and so now i guess he's becoming a better guy and maybe he's kind of becoming a hero and he drops in on the submarine heist and he takes out like a bunch of these pirate they're, they're like super technological pirates with these like advanced suits and weapons and he takes them all out except for uh black banta and his father who stops who stops his son the father stops his son the black banta in this like in the middle of their heist and he says tells him the story about his grandfather who was a uh, you know, a, a frogman in World War II, and he made like this knife because after the war nobody accepted him, so he went to in, to live in nature and hunted and killed sea life and made a knife, and he called himself the Manta, and he gives the knife to his son and says, "You're the Manta now," and then they can finish their heist. It's kind of a strange, it's strange pacing because they're trying to put a lot into the movie you know there's like there's like three films kind of happening in but it doesn't really feel like the problems of uh, like a Spider-Man 3 where all, there's so many villains there's only really the two major villains the Manta and the Ocean Master so 
we're just trying to get you know shoehorn in some backstory here so that's why it has a little bit of that strange pacing but aquaman comes in he kills like most of the team and then manta attacks him and manta's just a human but his dad comes in with like a grenade launcher gun and and like kicks the crap out of aquaman with the grenades and then like the ship kind of wobbles and a big tanker falls on the dad and aquaman is like well you guys made this mess so I'm going to leave you here to die because you can try to get out of this mess. It seems strange to me because he killed all the other guys, but now he's, like, taking pity on, like, the worst of them. Like, they're the strongest, most evil two of the whole group, but he's going to just kind of, like, let them live. It's kind of that reverse, like, you know, James Bond, Dr. No Evil Villain thing where they kind of just leave the good guy to die because they think, yeah, you know, he, so Aquaman kind of brought it on himself that this guy's going to come back later. And that ad, ends up being a, a point in the end of the movie where he says, I created this problem because I could have saved them. I guess he could have killed them or he could have saved them. And either would have been better than like leaving them have to die. You know, which the father, so the father of Manta, Black Manta, ends up dying and Manta vows his revenge. And we find out that Manta was actually working for Ocean Master. Aquaman's half brother. Uh, how they met up, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, Manta is a pirate. He says he patrols the five seas, so he might have just happened to run into them at some point. But he's um, he's kind of conscripted by Ocean Master now to kill Aquaman. He gives Ocean Master gives him this uh, advanced weaponry and gadgets and armor. And Black Manta then turns that into his Manta outfit. And in the comics, Manta's head is huge. You know, and in this movie, he starts with like a small helmet. And when he tries to use the the plasma blast from the helmet, it destroys it. And he goes, oh, I'm going to need a bigger helmet. So they're embracing that part of the comics, which is really cool. So what happens? Well, Aquaman and Mera team up. Mera looks for Arthur because... Uh, the Ocean Master, who's Aquaman's half-brother, played by Patrick Wilson, is trying to become the king of all of the tribes of the sea. There's like seven tribes, and he wants to unite them all so that they can attack the surface dwellers, which is the humans on Earth. And I, I was racking my brain trying to think why this happens now like what's the inciting incident to cause this to happen and i couldn't rem think of anything uh, or a reason why this happens besides just you know the timing of the movie it just happens to be now so uh, he's gonna war against the earth because the earth is polluting the oceans like he creates a tidal wave that crashes into the whole east coast and, and litters trash everywhere and there's like all these conspiracy theories on television in this movie of people talking about, is Atlantis real? Is there people under the water attacking us? And like, this is after Steppenwolf and we've already had Superman and aliens and everything. And people are still like, oh, you're so crazy. I mean, people are like, yeah, we have Aquaman. He's like one of them. And everybody's like, oh, you're crazy. That's, you can't live under the water and stuff. And it's like, guys, look with your eyes. What are you talking about? So anyway, so Mera and Aquaman, they first go to Atlantis. They go to Atlantis to talk to Vocal, who was uh, kind of the concierge or the, uh, you know, helper right hand of Queen Atlanta. And Vocal, after uh, uh, Queen Atlanta left Arthur, 
Volko came to the surface to train Arthur in how to fight and how to be an Atlantean. And Volko tells Arthur in flashbacks that when his mother went back, she had a new son who is, you know, the ocean master. That the father, the king at the time, found out about Arthur and the, the father and got mad. So he threw Queen Atlanta into the depths of the trench, which is a part of the ocean where part of the Atlanteans devolved into these uh, uh, shape of water style of demon frog creatures, which is a really cool scene later on where Mara and Arthur go to this trench and these creatures start attacking them. They like jump on the boat. There's one, then two, then three. And they're like, there's a lot of these things. How many are there? And they light these. It's it's a, a stormy night, which, uh, why do they take a boat? They're in Sicily at one point looking for a map to get to the the king's trident, right? The lost trident of King Atlantis that belong that's the rightful belonging of Arthur and they're in Sicily and then they take a boat to the trench why can't they swim like at 500 miles an hour there's also a part where I know I'm jumping around you know but okay so they go to Atlantis and they meet Volkel and Volkel tells them what to do and then Volkel gets arrested and Arthur has to fight his half-brother his half-brother arrests him and basically challenges him and says, I'm going to kill you. You kill me. Whoever wins will, you know, be the king. And Arthur's like, yeah, let's do it. I'm going to kick your butt. And it turns out that the Ocean Master is actually stronger than Arthur. And they say later that's because they were in the water and that's not Arthur's element. It's like, okay, so Arthur's like, he's the aqua man, but his element is land. That's kind of a thing that they're doing where they're, you know, re um, repurposing, revising the story to make Aquaman stronger on land. Because if you think about it, what's the future going to hold for this character? Like, he has to be a part of the Justice League. So any threats, any, uh, you know, planetary sized threats that are going to come that are going to cause the Justice League to team up in order to really see Arthur's full power part of that threat is going to have to be in the ocean so like if it's a new you know alien threat like a dark side style threat that comes like part of it is going to land on land and then part of it is going to be aquatic you know so are they going to have more ocean stuff with aquaman when he's in the justice league or is it just going to be when he does his solo movies i don't know so they have to make him really strong on land and the cool thing about the cg in this movie is that when they are underwater it's basically like a Krypton movie, you know, and not even Krypton because on Krypton they don't have like superpowers, right? It's only when they come to our earth they can fly around. Well, this is like a whole world of uh, superheroes that could just fly around because the way they move in the water, they don't have to swim. They just kind of float up and down or, you know, blast off like Superman flies. But it's really cool because it's all of these people underwater doing this. So they're just kind of flying around. It's pretty neat. And, you know, so Arthur gets his butt kicked by his half-brother and he and Mara escape by this funny gag where he talks about Pinocchio and getting swallowed up by a whale. So he hides in the mouth of a whale. And then the whale spits him out, you know, on land. He spits him out. The whale spits them out in Egypt. Or not Egypt, I'm sorry. The Sahara. And, you know, in Africa. And then we get this uh, Pitbull remix of, of that song, you know, that down in Africa. 
Pitbull's like, hey, yeah, hey, it's Pitbull. I'm in Africa. And then it's like, feel the rain in Africa. And I'm like, what is going on? But it's really short, but it's bizarre. And so they walk up onto the beach of the Sahara Desert. And then there's this plane that they take that everybody's paying in like gold coins because I guess the Atlanteans like, you know, gold in the ocean is pretty, you know, abundant, I guess. And they've just discovered that people on Earth like gold. So they just carry it around with them or whatever. And they go up in this plane. This guy takes them to the middle of the Sahara where they jump out of the plane and just kind of land in the sand. Like, uh, you know, from the trailer, you see them jump out and you're like, oh, they're going to do something cool. We're like you know, they'll grab like a piece of debris and slide on it. No, they just crash right into the ground and just stand up and dust themselves off. You're like, okay, yeah, they're pretty strong. And they find this hole in the ground of the desert. That's this lost kingdom. They call it the deserters, right? Where there used to be a kingdom when the ocean was over the land. And so I, again, I don't know what the, the timetable of this society is because what is the ocean of the land? What we're talking? What five hundred thousand years? A million years? I don't. Ten million years? I don't know. So they go down and they get this like cube that that plugs into the wall and and King Atlantis leaves like a you know you're my only hope help me Obi Wan Kenobi style message about where to find his trident. Then the most bizarre cut of this film. Okay, they're in the depths of the Sahara Desert, like. Arthur is making all these comments about how they're going to die of thirst, how they're in the middle of nowhere and they don't know how to get back. They go to the bottom of the desert and then the next cut, they're standing in Sicily. How did they get out of the desert, y'all? How did they get out of the desert? Did they walk the entire way? How can Arthur say they're going to die of thirst and then they just walked halfway into the desert and halfway back out of the desert without any water. It was frustrating. In fact, I couldn't, I, I like lost my mind. I almost lost my whole train of thought in the movie from trying to figure out what was going on here. Couldn't they have said like, oh, there's like an underwater tunnel, you know, like there's an underground tunnel and there's like a underground river that leads back to the ocean or something. No, they're just standing there and they're like, oh, I guess we're going to Italy. And then they're in Italy. I don't know. It's whatever. So they go to Italy and then Black Mana tracks them there because Ocean Master gave Mara a bracelet that ends up tracking her. And he's working with Black Mana and Black Mana uh, goes and fights them. And it's a really cool fight scene. And they're jumping around the roofs and they're, you know, shooting plasma pistols. And, and Mara is a really good fighter. She's like flipping around in slow-mo like the Matrix and tossing you know bad guys and armor all over the place and and then we get the scene with the boat where they go to the trench they go down in the trench they're being chased you know they dive in the water with these uh flares and like all the creatures it's like a horror movie man they're chasing them down into the bottom of the water and this is one of my deepest fears is like being dragged into the water by a creature right like, I saw this video a long time ago, this girl who got her foot, like, stuck in a whale's mouth, or the whale, like, bit her foot somehow when they're out swimming in the ocean, and it dragged her down. That is terrifying. So they swim down to the bottom of the trench, and they get through this crack, they escape all the creatures, and then there's this, like, energy vortex at the bottom of the ocean that's a, a warp? Where, where did this vortex come from? It's a warp vortex filled with light and electricity that they swim into. 
and it shoots them into the core of the earth where there's an underground land of the lost with a little beach and a little shore and little like tiny dinosaurs running around. There's pterodactyls or pteranodons or whatever flying around and it's bright like the sun shining bright and it shows these crystals sticking out of the rocks that are illuminating the whole place. Like what, where's the light coming from when these crystals, they have batteries? I don't know. And they meet who? Queen Atlanta, of course. She was tossed into the trench. She fought back against these creatures. She escaped into the core of the earth and she's been living on this little beach eating little dinosaurs for 20 years. And it's Nicole Kidman and she looks beautiful. And they're like, oh, that's so awesome. And then she says, okay, Arthur, you're the one true king. You're the only one who can get the trident. The trident is right through that waterfall in the underground pool. And you go in there and it's sitting on the, on the, on the throne. But there's a creature. And if you're not the true king, the creature will destroy you. And he's like, oh, okay, great. So he goes down there and he takes the trident. And the creature's like tentacles come out. And you don't really see the creature. And it's the voice of Julie Andrews. Okay. Mary Poppins herself is voicing like this Kraken style creature with these giant tentacles that slaps Arthur around. And she says, you're not worthy. You suck. You're the worst that's ever come here. And he's like, okay, well, look, I'm your friend. You're a sea creature. I'm going to talk to you. He uses his little mind waves. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And he says... I get you. We're the same. Like we're both losers or he gives some motivational speech that I can't remember. And she's like, Oh, you do get me. Okay. You can have the trident. And then the next thing we know, ocean masters leading this army against these underwater. Well, of course it's underwater against these giant crab people with like crab shells and they're fighting and they're like, we'll never bow to you. Ocean master. You suck. And all of a sudden the ground explodes and Aquaman is riding the giant Kraken thing. And it's like bigger than you could even imagine. It is so cool. It is so big and it's like a crab with tentacles coming off of it. And it's bigger than everything. It just destroys. It starts like crushing ships and, and smashing people and stuff. It's so cool. And Arthur's like riding on its head. And he like calls all the sea creatures and the sea creatures... Like the sharks and dolphins and stuff swarm from behind him. Like the whole ocean is just filled with creatures. And they're just like swimming into ships and stuff's blowing up. And they're firing lasers at each other. And there's colors and, and, and lava. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's insane. It's insane. And then Arthur's like, oh, I gotta, I'm going to fight you, brother. And then Mara goes and finds her father, who's like the king of one of the other kingdoms. And... She says, we have to follow Arthur. He's the true king. And then, you know, Willem Dafoe is there. And he's like, finally, the king has returned. And, and then she says, go up to the surface and fight because you fought once underwater. Now you have to fight on land. And so they go up and they're on this like giant submarine with propeller things. And, and Arthur challenges Ocean Master and, and they're swinging their tridents around. And, and crashing in each other and Arthur's wearing his gold-plated uh, comic book uh, armor and he defeats Ocean Master and then 
Ocean Master's like, you gotta kill me, kill me. And then his mother, their mother arrives, Queen Atlanta, and she says, you know, boys, boys, don't fight, be friends, you know? And Ocean Master's like hugging her and crying. And he's like, mother, I thought yeah, you were gone. She's like, you boys have to come together. And then Aquaman's like, arrest him and I'll come talk to you soon, brother, and we can try to figure things out. Uh, so kind of the end, you know, the conclusion is that the Queen Atlanta had told uh, Cesura Morrison that she would return someday and to, to wait for him, to wait for her at the beach in the morning. And he did that for the whole time. For 20 years, he went out to the beach every morning. And then finally, this time, he goes and she's there. And she returns to him. And it's so sweet. Oh, it's cute. And then Arthur's just swimming around in the ocean. And he's like, I've united my kingdoms. And then he blasts into the air. He swims straight up from the water and blasts into the air. And the sun is shining. And he says, I am Aquaman. And it's like that classic Aquaman cover, you know, where he's just got his armor and he's just being lit by the by the sun from behind and it's really cool and then we get that stinger where black mana is like saved because he didn't really die and then you know he says i'm gonna find aquaman so it's really not uh that interesting of a stinger because like yeah obviously he didn't die and i guess we're gonna get another one i don't know you know i don't know if i'm super into the mana character it's it's cool i guess he's got big bug eyes just shoots fire shoots lasers that's cool, but is it really going to do that much for you in a sequel to see them fight again? Kind of got it all. <laughs> Anyways, well, this has been a long one, so, you know, it's a spoiler review, so you've seen it, and if not, hopefully listening to this got you peaked, because you should see it. I think you should make a lot of money, because it looks beautiful, man, and, and, and James Wan, who, you know, is the, is the director who did the Fast and Furious movies, did a great job. He obviously loves the comics and he loves the characters and you got to go check it out. Go check it out. All right. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening and follow me on Twitter at it is I Rye. That's at I-T-I-S-I-R-Y for more content, including a podcast I do called Rye Reads Rick and Morty, where I read Rick and Morty comic books. Thank you.